Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning. Oh, that's pretty weak, but I'll take it, I guess. Glad to see you this morning. We're so excited to be here. We have, as Keith said, we have known them for 35 years, I guess it is, 36 years. They're like kids to us. We, we claim them as ours, and they're Leanne and uh, Mary Beth are like grandkids to us, and we've been so proud of them. I've been here before, actually. I was here 21 years ago. I did such a good job, it lasted a long time. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, we were here when it was Braylon Baptist Church over yonder in Peachtree City, but we're glad to be back. It's a special treat. And to see the Kennys, I, I didn't know you guys were going to be here. We were in Sunday school together last week, and they had to put up with me in Sunday school. We're in the same Bible study class, and uh, they asked me to teach last Sunday, and so I saw you guys in. Didn't know you'd be here. Good to see you. And, and then Robert and Mary Jo Foster over here. You guys are, are great to have people serving around the world, different, different venues. Robert and Mary Jo went to uh, Brazil with us in 1981. God got a hold of their heart, and uh, they ended up serving eight years as evangelism explosion missionaries in uh, Brazil. Now they live back here in Atlanta, but he is in charge of Evangelism Explosion Brazil. So he travels back and forth all the time. He's one of our deacons, minding his own business, and God got a hold of him. Look what happened. You never can tell. Good to see you guys again. And John uh, Phillips grew up in our church. I, I knew him when he didn't have this. Yeah, he was just a youngster when they came to our church, watched him grow up. J.B. and Shuggy, we've known for 30 years. You know, I feel like I'm home. Thank you guys for letting us come home. We have really looked forward to it, and uh, thank you for the privilege, and we're looking forward to being back every Sunday this month. So it'll be a good time for us. It'll be a blessing for us, and we pray that God will bless it uh, with you also. We're going to be this morning in the third chapter of Joshua. If you'll turn to the third chapter of Joshua and just kind of keep it open there, uh, I want to talk to you this morning about getting ready for the future. You know, this is, this is a, a, an uncertain world that we live in. And culturally, it just seems impossible to get ready for the future. I mean, the culture around us seems to be unraveling faster than you can possibly imagine. Uh, the economy is in the pits. Now, I'll tell you how bad the economy is. The Congress has spent more money than it has received every year since 1969. Now, you just try that in your home, and you'll be a long time getting over something like that. Another way to look at it is, in 1913, when the Federal Reserve was founded, one $20 bill would buy a $120 gold piece. Today, it would take 50 $20 bills to buy one $20 gold piece. We've lost 98% of the value of our dollar since we had the Federal Reserve, which is a good illustration. Listen carefully. The government has never run anything effectively. That's the world we live in. So we shouldn't be surprised at the economy. For some of us who are retired, we know what it was like to think we had it set for what we were going to do for retirement, and all of a sudden we woke up and 40% of everything we laid aside was gone. It's an uncertain economy. The world is uncertain. Since 9-11, there have been over 17,000 terrorist attacks by Islamic radicals since, 19, uh, since uh, 2001. Uh, worldwide, this is happening. 
happening in America. Now we're facing the challenge of homegrown terrorists right here in our own country. The uh, uh, hostility to the United States is incredible around the world. You know, we, look, we think of our, ourselves as the guys with, you know, the guy with the white hat and the, that always wins and always a good guy. The rest of the world doesn't look at us like that. So we're living in a world that once highly respected our nation, now is very hostile to it. And what's even more amazing, our country, founded by Bible-believing people, if you don't believe that, go to Washington, D.C., find me a building that doesn't have Scripture in, in marble on it. Uh, you, you'd not be able to do that. I'm not saying all of our founding fathers were born-again believers, but they had a biblical worldview. They based our country on that. And yet now, do you know that you can't display crosses, anything Christian, on federal property or public property? But last week, the atheists of America on public land dedicated a monument to declare that there is no God and that America has no Christian or biblical foundation. And, and would you believe in a land based like our land, the, the culture is now hostile to us. Janet Napolitone said uh, that, uh, that, that evangelical Christians were on the terrorist list. Not the guy that shot all the people in Fort Hood. He, he wasn't even on the list. We're on the list. This is the nation that we live in. So when you think about getting into the future in a land like this, it's very, very difficult. seems impossible. In the church, it is, it is remarkably difficult for the church. In the last 10 years, the membership in evangelical churches in America has gone down nearly 10%. That's almost 5 million people. At the same time, the population has increased by 24%. It's been a swing of about 29 million people. Our churches are declining. In fact, in 1991, the believers in Asia outnumbered for the first time all of the believers in the Western world. It's no wonder that the, that the epicenter of Christian faith is no longer in America. It's in Asia. And the leadership, the evangelical leaders in America were asked 10 years ago, I asked to look in 1911, uh, 2011, 20, uh, 10 years ago, and they said that 44% of them said the church was strong, over 50% said it was weak, declining. Um, that, that, that's our evangelical leaders. But when you go to the, to the southern hemisphere, Asia, all of that, the leaders of the churches there who are under great persecution. In many countries in that area, it's illegal for believers to proselyte or to evangelize. Seventy-one percent of the leaders of, of Christian churches in the southern hemisphere said the church is alive and well and the future is optimistic. You know why? Persecution has never killed the church. Prosperity is what kills the church. So you look at the churches of America, and you have to wonder, what does the future hold for us? And then when you look at your faith, just what you believe about God, uh, there's so much uncertainty about it. My father's generation, the GI generation, was 65% evangelical. My generation, 57%. My kids' generation, 45%. 
my grandkids, 16 to 25%. And I do have a great-grandson now. You knew I would get that in. And uh, his generation is projected, if nothing changes, there will only be 4% evangelicals. So when you look at your faith, you realize that, that we're declining in numbers, we're declining in vitality, we don't know what the future holds, and then we have over 2,100 Muslim mosques in America. 76% of them have been built since 1980, growing rapidly. Uh, you look at our faith and we say, boy, there's so many challenges. What's going to happen to us? So I, I, I tell you all this just to, to, just to remind you that it's difficult to get ready for the future. How are we going to do it? In a world like this, business, economy, culture, morality, ethics, terrorism, all the things that we face in the world today, you add all that together, you have the apathy and indifference of the average church member, average believer, and uh, we don't know how are we going to get ready for the future. Well, Joshua chapter 3 gives us four simple steps to do that. And if you would just look there in Joshua chapter 3, and let me read beginning at verse 2. After three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, carried by the Levitical priests, you must break camp and follow it. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between yourselves and the Ark. Uh, By the way, someone after the first service asked, said, uh, why did they want them to be behind the ark a thousand yards? There was a million and a half people. If everybody crowded around the ark, nobody could see past the front row. And uh, so he wanted to get out there where everybody could see it because the key to this scripture, this passage is, and to this experience, follow the ark. By the way, the ark is mentioned ten times in this chapter. We'll come back to that in a moment. So he said, uh, uh, the... uh, let about a thousand yards between yourselves. Don't go near it so you can see the way to go. And here's the key phrase. For you haven't traveled this way before. That, that's, that's us. We've never been here before. It, this is a new day for us. How are we going to move forward? We need some guidance. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you Tomorrow, then he said to the priests, take the Ark of the Covenant, go ahead of the people. So they carried the Ark of the Covenant, went ahead of them. It's an interesting setting. Let me just quickly tell you that uh, 40 years before, the children of Israel had been at Kadesh Barnea, was the name of the place. It's on the south of Israel. It, was, it would have been a great way to enter the land because there was no, no really obstacle to going into the land. There wasn't a, a flooded river like they're facing now in this third chapter. There, the river, uh, verse 15, I think, tells us that the Jordan was overflowing its banks for all the harvest season. So they were, they were facing million and a half to two million people facing crossing a flooded river. Million and a half, two million of them. It'd be tough. Some of the younger ones might make it. How are they going to do that? They didn't have that problem in Kadesh Barnea. They, uh, God said, go, I've given you this land, possess it. And uh, you remember they appointed a committee. Uh, don't get me started on committees. But uh, they, they appointed a committee, and 12 of them went and spies in the land. They went up and down the land all the way up into uh, the, the north near Lebanon, came back down all the way. They came back and said, everything God said is true. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a wonderful land. But they are giants in the land, and, and, and they have walled cities, 
and we're like grasshoppers in our sight. I thought that was always interesting. They didn't say they thought we were grasshoppers. They said we think we're grasshoppers. They looked at this and said this is a great land that God has promised us, but we can't take it because there are giants in the land. You remember they said no to God, spent 40 years in the wilderness. Now they're back there for the second time. And so here's what this passage tells us about getting ready for the future. They were about to embark on a, a journey that they had never faced before. So are we. So are we because we've never faced today before. It's a new day, a new world, challenging world, difficult time. How do we get ready to march into the future? First principle, don't dwell in the past. You notice Joshua didn't say anything about the past. He could have talked to them about the wonderful miracles of the past and all the blessings of God, the, the mighty crossing of the, of the Red Sea and the, the, the food and the water in the wilderness and clothes that never wore out and all the, the cloud that led them by day and the pillar of fire by night. And, and he could have talked about all the miraculous things that happened. He didn't mention it. Now, that, that shouldn't surprise us because in the first chapter, verse 2, Joshua and God are having a conversation and God said, uh, Joshua, Moses is dead. Pretty straightforward, wasn't it? Moses is dead. Now get ready to cross the Jordan. Uh, God doesn't want us living in the past. This is a new day. That was a new opportunity. And Moses was a great leader. He was one to be revered and one to be honored. And we remember the wonderful things God did in the past. We remember the faithfulness of God in the past. But Moses is dead don't dwell in the past. Don't dwell in the past. Uh, I, I would guess that a lot of us here today have a hard time getting away from the past. You know, if, if we dwell on the successes, the good things of the past, then we, we develop a nostalgia that's unprofitable un, uh, uh, to us. Uh, but more than that, we, we develop an arrogant pride. Oh, I could remember. I remember when I was a teenager... Preaching in revivals. Can you imagine churches turning their pulpits over to a 17-year-old preacher for a week and letting him preach every night in their church? Believe it or not, they did that. 22 weeks, my last half of my senior year in high school and the summer before I went off to Baylor, uh, I preached revivals. My uh, song leader was Chuck Swindoll. You may have heard of Chuck. Uh, Chuck and I went to high school together. And uh, we uh, had a great time. It was wonderful. We saw hundreds of, of kids say, we actually thought we could win Houston, Texas to Christ. We prayed like that. We believed like that. Those are wonderful times. But they're not coming back. Now, God may do something like that again, but it'll be new. It'll be fresh. We can't live on the good things of the past because we'll develop a sense of arrogance and pride. And we can't dwell on the bad things because... Uh, We'll grow bitter. Uh, something happened to you. Someone abused you in some way. Or said something about you. Or did something that just crushed your hopes and, and made life miserable for you. And you got mad about it. You've never been able to get over it. Anger is the first step toward bitterness. And unforgiveness is to live in bitterness for all of your life. And God does not want us 
bitter about the past because it ruins everything in our life if we do. It ruins our lives. The Apostle Paul uh, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, he, he said to the Philippian church, his favorite church, said, uh, uh, I thank God for every remembrance of you. I thought I always thought that was a little weird. Because you remember how he came to Philippi? He came to town. He was rejected by, the, by everybody. He was arrested, had false charges brought against him. He was beaten, put in stocks, and lived through an earthquake. I'd say it's pretty sobering welcome to Philippi. But he said, I thank God on every remembrance of you. You see, he'd, he'd learned the secret. You'll remember this if you don't remember anything else I said today. When you look at the past, here's the way God wants you to look at it. Remember the best, forget the rest. That's the way you do it. Remember the best, forget the rest. Don't dwell in the past. Uh, Paul uh, knew that the church at Philippi was in the hands of God. And he, he says in verse 6, uh, and we'll look at that in just a moment, uh, uh, the other end of it. But he says, I'm confident he who has begun a good work in you. He looked into the past and he knew God was re responsible for the church. He says, I know that he who has begun a good work in you is going to carry it out. He's going to complete it. I don't know who was here 26 years ago when you all started off, who all was here. But I do know this, the Holy Spirit was here. God was here. And God started this church and God's going to take care of it. God's going to see it through to completion. You can count on that. Uh, God's going to take care of it. So don't dwell in the past. The, across the northern part of, the, of the North America is an Eskimo tribe called the Inuit tribe. And uh, they have a unique way of catching bear or bears. Uh, th this is how they hunt them. Uh, they, they don't take 30 out 6 or three, 300 Winchester and go out and shoot the bear. They, 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 they take the bone, a small bone from a wolf, and they, spit, they twist it till it's in a, like a corkscrew, and they sharpen both ends, and then they work it into a big piece of blubber. Now, I know it's obnoxious to us, but bears love blubber. And so they, they put that blubber out on the path where the bear walks, and then they go watch. After a while, here comes Mr. Bear waddling along, and he sees that hunk of blubber, and he sniffs it, he likes it, he swallows it. The minute he swallowed that blubber, he died. Because you see, every step he took after that, that little twisted wolf bone would work its way out of that blubber and begin to shred the insides of his stomach. And the Indians just watch till he blazed to death and he dies. But he's killed himself as soon as he swallows that blubber. Now, listen, let me apply it to you and me. When you take bitterness of any kind from the past into your life, the moment you keep that and nurture that, you have killed yourself emotionally, perhaps spiritually, maybe physically. Because like that sharp wolf bone, that thing inside of you, Hebrews twelve fifteen says it's like a poisonous uh, plant. Beware lest a root of bitterness, and that word root of bitterness is a Greek phrase which refers to the growth of a poisonous plant. Unless that poisonous plant grows up within you and many be defiled. You see, if you could be bitter and angry by yourself and just mess your own life up, I'd say have at it. 
But you can't. When you hold bitterness, it impacts everybody you know. Everyone is affected. It grows up and many are defiled. My son Randy is a lay preacher. And he has a, has a saying that I like. He says, if you can't get over something, you, know, you, just, you just can't put it past you. Build a bridge and get over it. Just build a bridge and get over it. Hey, turn loose of it. Don't carry it with you. Dwelling in the past and anger and bitterness will destroy your life. It will destroy those around you. Don't dwell in the past. Second thing, don't worry about tomorrow. He said, tomorrow, God is going to do wonders among you. Listen, the future belongs to God. Whether we understand it or not, the future is his story. History is his story. And he's going to bring history to the conclusion of his choosing. He is going to take care of tomorrow. Now, the reason is he doesn't live in a chronology. When I come to my next birthday, I'll be a year older, not a year younger. Because that's the way chronology is. We all are that way. We, we, we're born at zero and start counting up from there. Um, God doesn't do that. When God looks at your life, when he says all things work together for good, he looks, let, let's pick a tragedy in your life or something very unpleasant. You say, I don't know how God could work that out for good. You know how he can? When God looks at your life, he sees it all at once. He sees it from your birth to your death. And he knows how that event impacts how it works itself out in all of your life. One of the saddest days of my life was when my father died when I was 30 years old. My dad was a preacher, was my best friend. People asked me in subsequent years, said, what's the best thing that ever happened to your ministry? I said, when my dad died. They said, what? Well, see, I never experienced sorrow before. And when he died, all of a sudden, I understood how people felt when they went through something like that. And it was a moment that was grievous at the time, but God worked it out for good. See, that's what God does in our lives. He will take care of tomorrow. Don't you worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. That's God's province. God is going to do wonders, Joshua said, tomorrow. Now, third thing, don't lose today. You didn't notice it probably. They crossed the Jordan that day. I don't know what the thing God was going to do tomorrow was, but they crossed the Jordan that day. He told them, said, told the priest, take the ark, put it on your shoulders, move forward. When your feet hit the water of the swollen Jordan River, stop. And he told the people, let a thousand yards get between it, uh, you and that uh, ark so you can see it, and then you follow it. You follow it. You follow. They did that that day. They crossed the Jordan that day. What I'm saying to you is this is a unique day in your history. This moment will never come back again. This service will never be duplicated. Oh, you say, preacher, we'll be here next Sunday. No. Some of us will. The Lord tarries. Some of you won't be here next Sunday. And some of the people that are not here will be here. this, This group will never meet again just like this. This is a moment in time that is, for, is ours for the taking. And if you ever come to God or if you ever commit your life to God in any significant way, it'll be in a moment we call now. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Always, that is the admonition of God. We must not lose today. Must not lose today. This is His moment for us. Fourth thing is very important. 
Don't fail to prepare. Don't fa- get ready for the future. And you say, well, how can we do that? Well, you get ready for the future. The word there in the fifth verse is consecrate yourselves. Now, your, your translation may say sanctify yourselves. Now, God will sanctify you in the sense of, of, of uh, declaring you righteous in Christ. But he's talking about something else here. He says sanctify yourself. Now, the word sanctify there is a word to be very familiar to the Israelites because they had the sacrificial system, and every time they sacrificed an animal, in that animal's ear there was a stamp that was the stamp of the temple or the tabernacle, and uh, that stamp said, this animal belongs to God. This, this animal is consecrated. It is sanctified. Now, what he says to us is, sanctify yourself. You do it. God's not going to do that for you. You're going to have to set yourself apart. Come to the place where you say, Lord, I belong to you. My life is yours. I set myself apart for your use. You're going to have to do that. You're going to have to do that. Ten times in this short chapter, the ark is referenced. The ark represented the presence of God for the Israelites. The power of God, the promises of God, all wrapped up in the ark. For us, Jesus is our ark. He is the presence of God and the power of God and the promise of God to us. And so when, he, in the, when Joshua told the people, follow the ark, as we look at it from this vantage point all of these years later, what he's saying is follow Christ. Focus on him. Focus on your relationship with Christ. Listen, listen carefully to me. You will never drift anywhere worth going. You will never drift anywhere worth going. You have to focus and follow. That, that, that is how you get ready for the future. Let me illustrate it this way. Caroline and I will have been married 57 years next Sunday. So we get to celebrate our anniversary with you all next Sunday. And, uh, I mean, it, you know, where in the world did the, did the years go? But uh, I don't have time to give you a lot of detail, but let me, we, we met August the 20th, 1955. I was in Baylor. She was a senior in high school. We courted through the mail, and I'd see her occasionally on the weekend. I bought a ring in November, gave it to her in December, married her in July. So it was a fast courtship. But let me tell you what happened. We didn't have any seminars about pre-marriage counseling. You know, we didn't have anything available like that's available. And you ought to take advantage of it. If you, any of y'all planning to get married, hey, get premarital counseling. It's a wonderful thing. We didn't have that. All we had was the Word of God, our relationship with God, our love for each other, and our knowledge that God wants us together. And so we were, her parents had brought her up to Waco one weekend so we could, have, you know, we, had, we were getting married. We were engaged. They thought it would be nice if we could see each other every once in a while. I joke and say we'd have married sooner, but we were afraid to stay with each other by ourselves. And, you know, it was kind of a scary thing for us. He was 18, I was 20. And uh, they brought her up to Waco so we could be together. And so we were at a friend's house, a little white frame house over on the west side of Waco. And we were listening to records. I know you kids think we never did. Oh, yeah, we listened to records. We, We were listening to Frank Sinatra. I know most of you don't even know who Frank Sinatra was, but it's not important. But he was a crooner, sang love songs, great love songs. And he had a song that he sang called You Are My Everything. And we were listening to that song. 
And God spoke to us. God said to Carol Ann, what are you going to do if something happens to Jimmy? And she honestly thought, I don't know. Jimmy, what are you going to do if something happens to Carol Ann? I don't know. And we realized we had wrapped our lives up in each other, which is important in a marriage, but it can't be the primary thing. And we got on our knees by that little couch. We prayed a prayer something like this. Lord, our answer is yes. Whatever that means. Whatever you want us to do, wherever you want us to go, whatever you want us to say, for now and for the rest of our lives, our answer is yes. Something happens to Carol Ann, I'm going to keep on preaching. Some, something happens to Jimmy, I'm going to keep my focus on the mission field. Carol Ann was a mission volunteer. And... Uh, we made a pledge to God. Our answer is yes. We won't argue with you. We won't debate with you. We won't negotiate with you. Our answer is yes. Whatever that means for now and for the rest of our lives, our answer is yes. We look back over our lives. We've served in about seven churches and been at Lifeway 15 years, preached all over America in 36 different countries. We've traveled. She never got to be appointed as a missionary because our uh, back then there were not really much in the way of parachurch uh, emphasis where you raise support to go. It was either go with the foreign mission board or you wouldn't go. And so she couldn't go because she hadn't had proper education. I married her right out of high school. But isn't it interesting that God's plan for us was to have us preach and minister all over the world uh, to take people. We took 1,500 of our employees at Lifeway overseas from 1997 until today uh, for the impact it had on them and on Lifeway. But I believe that when it comes to what, how we serve, the churches we serve, the positions we were in, I don't believe we ever made a mistake because, you see, we had already decided that our answer was yes. So we never debated with God. It was foolish for me to go from a church to the Sunday school board, now Lifeway. I was 55 years old, never had pastored a church bigger than a $6 million budget. All of a sudden, I'm president of a $200 million corporation. Knew absolutely nothing to what I was doing. But I had learned to get people around me. It's what I tried to do in the church. I always felt like in church, if I get somebody better than me, we'd, have a, we'd be successful. And so I did that in Lifeway, and we went from a $200 million corporation to half a billion corporation uh, each year uh, because uh, that's where God wanted us. Didn't have much hope for success, but we knew God had said go, and we'd already said yes. You see, you don't have to know what God wants you to do. You just need to be willing to do it. And you need to trust God. God is not going to lead you anywhere that His grace won't sustain you and His presence won't empower you. And so you can trust Him and you can trust Him enough to pray like we did uh, 57 years ago. Lord, my answer is yes, whatever that means. Wherever it takes me, whatever I'm to do, my answer is yes. I won't argue with you, debate with you, negotiate with you. We'll just say yes. You show us, we'll obey. And that's what those Israelites did. They followed the ark. And what I'm saying to you is you can make a decision now that for now and the rest of your life, you're going to follow Christ, who is our ark, who knows what that means one minister told us in 
And I was in Baylor. If you would follow Jesus, you must follow him to the ends of the earth because that's where he's headed. And we're seeing that today, aren't we? All over the world, God is still sending people. And, and uh, people are still saying yes to him. But you can say that today. That's my invitation to you. You don't have to know, but would, would you be willing to say, God, I trust you enough, I believe you enough, that I'm one. Nobody else does, I will. My answer is yes. For now, for the rest of my life, my answer is yes. Pray with me. Father, thank you that you love us. You're patient with us. Lord, we, we're such rebellious children so many times. We waste so much of our time and we lose our focus. And yet, Lord, you never stop loving us. And, and Lord, you, you have a plan for every one of our lives. And, Lord, we can trust you with that. We don't want to wait until you show us something that we, we might do and then we'll consider it. We want to say right now, Lord, whatever you call me to do, my answer is yes. Lord, may that be our response. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jimmy. We're going to continue to pray. I'm going to ask uh, all of our pastors and our elders, uh, you men and women who are prepared to pray with and for people to come uh, immediately, would you, and spread across this front so there'll be uh, room for people to come and pray. And let me just ask, ask you this question. Uh, how many of you would say, you know, I have a person or I have people in my life that I'm concerned about, uh, that it's causing me worry, it's causing me anxiety, it's causing me stress, difficulty. How many of you would say, I have an issue or I have issues in my life that are uh, pressuring me, they're bigger than me, I have anxiety, I have worry, I need, I need outside help uh, from God, I need prayer. If that's you, raise your hands really quick. Let me just see. I need prayer for something. I need prayer for something. Good. Well, then now's the time to do business with God. And so I'm going to encourage you. We've got some unhurried, unrushed time uh, to pray. This is a good time for some of you to do what Jimmy has encouraged you to do is say yes. My answer to you is yes, God. And so I'm going to be here at the front, J.B., Lance is here. We need some more people. Some of you group leaders, um, staff, anybody? This, yeah, Jimmy, some of you guys. Just a few more people to, to pray. I'm going to pray, and uh, music's going to play. You, uh, you come. Let us pray with you, pray for you, and uh, I'll close our prayer time. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.